slid back when like a child running wild in the outside you got older Welcome back to another episode of Smile You Love Us, a podcast where we discuss the wide world of teen movies, what they mean to us, and their impact on pop culture as a whole. I'm Erin. And I'm Blythe. And a fun fact about me is my favorite breed of cow is the milking shorthorn. She's not kidding. <laughs> Every week we'll be, we will be discussing a new crop of teen movies based around the theme of our choosing. Our only requirements are that the films be made in the U.S. and focus on high school age teens. Today's theme is boarding school. There's just something about those ivy-covered dormitories, school uniforms, and separation of the sexes that will forever capture our imagination. Boarding school is just a year-long sleepover, and we are here for it. Today we will be discussing 1989's Dead Poet Society, 1982's School Ties, and the weird, almost unheard of Tanner Hall. These films are a bit more serious than our usual teenage movie fair, but we're still going to have some fun. Oh, Captain, my Captain... Please introduce our first film. My pleasure. So, Dead Poet Society is a 1989 film by Oscar-nominated director Peter Weir, who also did The Truman Show and Master and Commander. Set in 1959 at Welton Academy, a fictional all-male elite prep school located in Vermont, it revolves around a tight-knit group of students and their new English teacher, whose passion for poetry inspires them to come out of their shell, come out of their shells and think for themselves. Our boarding school boys include Neil Perry, played by Robert Sean Leonard, his shy roommate Todd Anderson, played by a baby-faced Ethan Hawke. Such a baby face. Oh my so god. Cute. The charming Knox Overstreet, played by Josh Charles. Love of, of my life. Of the good wife fame. And the renegade Charlie Dalton, played by Gail Hansen, who hasn't done much since, but is now a very famous movie producer. Oh. The English teacher, Mr. Keating, is played by Robin Williams in one of his most memorable performances to date. After several unorthodox lessons at Welton Academy with Mr. Keating, the boys are determined to learn more about their exciting new teacher, who they discover is a Welton Academy alumnus, and the founding member of an unsanctioned club called the Dead Poets Society. Neil decides to restart the club, and he and the boys sneak off to the woods one night where they convene to read poetry, swap stories, and even share their own literary compositions. In a cave. Not in not just in the woods, but like in a deep Yeah. They follow they go to the, the woods outside of campus and like venture through streams and valleys. They, pu- they pull up some maps. It's cool. They go through the fog. It's cool. They have flashlights. It's really fun. It's an exciting part of the film. Prior to meeting Mr. Keating, all the boys were on a very direct path laid out by their parents. Neil is supposed to go to Harvard and medical school, and for the other boys, it's Princeton or Yale, then law school or banking. As the school year progresses, however, Keating's lessons on free thought and living on your own terms begins to sink in, and each student is inspired to, quote-unquote, seize the day in their own way. Knox pursues Chris Knoll, an attractive cheerleader that he meets at an off-campus party, who is practically engaged to Chet Danbury, a football player from the local public high school. Boo, public school. (laughs) Neil discovers his love of acting and gets the role as Puck in a local production of A Midsummer Night's Dream, a fact he has to hide from his father, who does not share Mr. Keating's love of poetry and encouragement of independent (laughs) thinking. And Todd, poor baby-faced Todd, overcomes his debilitating shyness. 
Unfortunately, things start to unravel when Charlie Dalton publishes an article in the school newspaper in the club's name demanding that girls be admitted to Welton, which leads the administration to question Keating and his teaching methods. Neil's father then discovers his son, son's involvement in the play and forces him to quit on the eve of the opening performance. Which is such a jerk move. Oh, it's I know it happens every time I rewatch it, and it kills me every time. He's devastated, and he goes to Keating, who advises him to stand his ground and and tell his father how much acting means to him, and, like, can you just support me and take me seriously? And when Neil's father unexpectedly shows up at the opening performance um he's at first excited but then he realizes that this is not out of support but he's like really embarrassed that his son is in this play and he takes him home and he says that he's been withdrawn from welton and is being enrolled in a military academy so that he can better prepare for harvard Unable to find the courage to stand up to his father, and with no help from anyone else, his mother, or anyone at the administration, a distraught Neil commits suicide, which is heartbreaking. Really? Really heartbreaking. His classmates and Mr. Keating are obviously devastated, and the administration requests Mr. Keating's resignation, believing that his encouragement of Neil's dreams is ultimately what led him to commit suicide. And it ends with this really tearful goodbye and then the famous Oh Captain, My Captain scene where all the students get on their desks and bid Mr. Keating farewell. It's really sad. Yeah, it's, it's not an upper, like, at all. And it's definitely, it, like, the score tug, tugs at your heartstrings and, like, a damn baby-faced Ethan Hawke just, like, really, you know. Uh, unfortunately, School Ties is not much more of an upper... <laughs> Some there's, also, there's no suicide. There's no suicide. There's a mental nervous breakdown, there's, some anti-Semitism. A lot of it. A lot of anti-Semitism. School Ties is really similar to Dead Poet Society. It's also set in the 1950s. Also takes place at an elite all-boys prep school, the fictional St. Matthews, which is located in Massachusetts. When they filmed in Massachusetts. They filmed all over Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. At, like, the many prep schools. Yeah. Um, and like Welton Academy, the students at St. Matthew's are expected to follow these really strict rules and do everything they can to get into an Ivy League school. Like, that is the only goal. That's the focus. And the pressure they face from their families and the teachers is immense and even leads one student to have a nervous breakdown over a French final. So sad. I know. The main character of the film is David Green, played by Brendan Fraser, who is a transfer student from Scranton, Pennsylvania who was offered a football scholarship to St. Matthew's for his senior year. Shout out to Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Blythe and I have spent a lot of time there, A lot of time there. And I almost immediately recognized it as Scranton on a rewatch. What? Yeah. Because it's filmed in Scranton, and, like, those parts of it are still very much... Well, you've probably spent a little more time in downtown Scranton than I have. Maybe. I only had that one driving tour that... Oh. I was there for a wedding. (laughs) Uh, David Green is handsome and outgoing, but he's very different from his new classmates in two important ways. One, he is from a working class family in Scranton, and two, he is Jewish, which is a big deal. (laughs) He chooses to keep the latter piece of information to himself for fear of being ostracized. And like Depot Society, School Ties features an ensemble cast of Hollywood megastars before they were famous. You have Chris O'Donnell playing Chris Reese, who's David's roommate, Matt Damon playing his best friend turned rival, Charlie Dillon, 
Anthony Rapp and the rest of the cast of Goodwill Hunting are also in this movie. It's crazy. It's like every Hollywood it boy is in this movie. Right. Like if you weren't sure that they filmed it in Massachusetts, like the casting can really tip you off that they sourced local. It's pretty funny. Despite proving to be an excellent, well-liked addition to the football team and having befriended most of the boys on his floor... When word gets out that David is Jewish, he is met with hostility and violence from the same boys he thought were his friends. In an extremely emotional scene, he comes back to his room to find a a swastika and the words Dirty Jew written above his bed. So then there's this cheating scandal that erupts in their history class during one of their finals. And although David and one of his classmates, who's the head prefect, Rip Van Kelt, great name. Great name. Both saw Matt Damon's character Dylan cheating, the class tries to blame it on David because prejudice. Ultimately, Dylan is found out to be the cheater, but only after Van Kelt comes forward and admits to knowing that he cheated and not David. Dylan is expelled, but on his way out, he tells David that it likely won't affect his admission to Harvard, and unfortunately, he's probably right. The film was written by David Wolfe of Hill Street Blues and Law & Order fame, and is apparently based on his own personal experiences. So, sorry, David Wolfe. It took a long time to get greenlit and was not well marketed, and as Chris O'Donnell stated in an oral history of school ties, which was produced by Entertainment Weekly for the film's 20th anniversary, the reason was that coming in the wake of Dead Poet Society, people were probably asking, is it as good? Probably not. So I'm not going to (laughs) go. Which is really funny. And as already noted, there were a lot of similarities between the two films, and they even had the same composer. It should also be noted that all of the actors in school ties would also audition for the role of Charlie Sims in Scent of a Woman, which is another boarding school movie that we did not include because it's really not about boarding school. It's more about Al Pacino's character and his relationship with Charlie than it is about that hashtag teen life. And the role went to Chris O'Donnell. Good go, Chris O'Donnell. Good job. Erin, you want to tell us about Tanner Hall, a movie no one has seen? I do. I do. Um... Blythe put this movie on the list when we were ideating on boarding school movies. And I was like, and she was like, I can't wait for you to see it. (laughs) And when she said that, I thought, wow, how did I miss this movie in my consciousness? Like, what will it be? Um, Turns out she was like a little bit trolling me (laughs) when she said that. I just didn't want to be the only person who had seen this movie. I needed to talk about it with someone. This movie came out in 2009 at the Toronto. Toronto Film Festival, which, holy shit. Um, <laughs> I think nepotism is quite evident in this film. It was... Or that the fact the film was made. Yes. I didn't find anything online about how it was financed, so I'll just leave that there. The film was written and directed by two women who, you know, we really try and pump up women. This is hard to defend. Yeah. Um, it's written by Francesca Gregorini, and I shit you not, Princess Tatiana von Furstenberg. So Francesca Gregorini is Ringo Starr's stepdaughter, Mm -hmm. and then, um, Princess, uh, Tatiana von Furstenberg is a literal princess, who is also Diane von Furstenberg's daughter. Um, that's... A lot of context to tell you about a movie. That's more than I have to say about the movie. Um, Rooney Mara stars as a high school senior, I think. Not entirely clear, but context context clues tell us she is a senior. Yeah, I think Um, so. She's inexplicably named Fernanda. 
I have never heard the name Fernanda before. She goes by Fern. Um, she arrives at boarding school Tanner Hall after setting up this childhood friend of hers, Victoria, as a morally malicious evildoer who loses her grandmother's parakeet or sets it free intentionally to hurt the parakeet and her grandmother. This is a totally... I'm not joking. This happened <laughs> in like the first four minutes yeah. of the movie. So we meet Fern's friends when she gets to the school. Lucasta, another mm-hmm. strange name, <laughs> name, which I felt like was a little more believable than Fernanda, but what have you. Um, played by Amy Ferguson, who I actually thought was great and she really natural and really good. beautiful, but I, she's not been in much since. Um, and then <laughs> a little lady we all may know. Um, Named Brie Larson, who plays Kate. Uh, Was this her first film? No. Okay, I didn't think so. Um, And then we meet two teachers at the school, the Middlewoods, who are a married couple. They're really the only teachers we meet other than the headmistress at the end, but they're married. They're played by Amy Sedaris and Chris Kattan. (laughs) In their prime, like, like Chris Kattan was still on SNL. Amy Sedaris was in her peak, like, Strangers with Candy uh, run so it's weird that they have really bad roles in a really bad movie considering that they're very very good comedic actors like yeah, very good we can talk about this when we get into it anyway but. sorry I, div- I divulge from the non-plot um uh their jokes are tragic and dull is all you need to know it's blah 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 Chris Kattan plays a teacher uh Amy Sedaris plays Essentially a floor mom. Yeah. Head of the dorms. And so... House mom. House mom. So uh, Chris Kattan's character lusts after Brie Larson's character, Kate. Um, The girls, like, kind of have fun with this. They're influenced by Victoria, this transfer student who we meet from Fernanda's youth. Um, They're influenced by, like, her wildness. And so then Fern in tandem is mad because her mom has given her permission to like go hang out with her friends like Fern's mother's friends who inexplicably live in this small town in the middle of nowhere Rooney Mara's character is now being signed out of prep school by this man Gio who is played by Tom Everett Scott who is most famous for his role of Guy Patterson in That Thing You Do Um, that's how we will refer to him from here on out as, like, bad Guy Patterson. Mm. So, Fern is kind of led on by Gio and seduced by him, and they enter into an affair that is somehow kept a secret from his exceptionally pregnant wife. It's puzzling how she doesn't pick up on this. And then the film ends with Fern breaking off this affair at Geo's daughter's christening in which Fern is the godmother. Um, Kate, Brie Larson's character, is, like, come on to very aggressively by Chris Kattan's character and makes him, and because she rebukes him, he quits teaching. Um, and Lucasta is a lesbian, which was actually a pretty good that, narrative. That was probably the best story in um, And Victoria just has, like, a drunk mom... We're given literally no explanation as to who these people are outside of school. What their ambitions are. What their ambitions are. If they have any ambitions. I mean, Lucas draws comics. Which is very cool. Um, 
Fern wears horrid outfits and is really into studying. She's like a wackadoo Rory Gilmore. Yeah, but Rory Gilmore was like, I'm going to Harvard yeah, and I'm applying to these schools. And Fern's just... This movie is so weird. And it's... Uh, yeah, that's the plot. That's what's that's the left of it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get into it. What? Let's start with Dead Poet Society. How did you feel rewatching this film? Okay, I rewatched this film last night. Um... I rewatched it with Matt, who went to an all boys. My boyfriend. He went to an all boys prep school that's exceptionally different than than this school. Um, just like a Catholic boys high school. And he we started watching it and I was like keen to ask him, how does this remind you of your experience? And it became immediately evident that there would be very little overlaps. Like, when they're walking in with the banners, Matt was like, oh, we had those. And I was like, did you have bagpipes? And he was like, no, we didn't have bagpipes. <laughs> and, Bummer. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, but then while I was watching, I was texting my friend from high school, um, trying to remember whose class I watched this in. And I realized it was my freshman year English teacher and... Uh, he was a young teacher, and he was a really good teacher for freshman honors English. He was just, like, a good, invested, very earnest teacher. And so I feel like when I rewatched it, I kind of was like, oh, this is, was a deeply personal movie to this teacher, obviously. Wow. And when they're giving the speech in the church in the beginning, like the welcome to school speech, I don't think I had fully picked up on... I honestly don't know how many times I've watched this since the first time I've watched it. I don't think a lot. Maybe mm-hmm. once or twice. But I don't think that the first time that I saw it, I fully grasped the, like, academic rigor of the school and, mm-hmm. like, how that layers on such an intensity to their... Like, it just... they have 75% of the graduating class went to an Ivy League and that's why their sons are at this mm-hmm. school. Um, and so that definitely as an adult who had to apply to college, I get into college and was not considering Ivy Leagues by any stretch of the mm-hmm. imagination. Like, I was like, oh, geez. Now now the stress kind of landed differently in watching it, and I can understand why it did so well with, like, adult audiences critically. Um, I did fall asleep halfway through the movie, and then I, like, woke myself up and finished it. But I did fall asleep. Like, I dozed off. And I'm sorry, but, wow. like, I had a long day yesterday. Wow. Um, I think that it's a very cozy movie, and oh. I think all of these movies are very cozy movies. Maybe not School Ties. Um, it felt like such a cozy movie because of the ivy and the yes. fall. Like, it's just yes. perpetually fall in these mm-hmm. movies. Um, I was... I did point out, like, oh, look, it's Red Foreman who plays mm-hmm. uh, Neil's dad. And then I remember the first time having watched it being like, oh my god, it's like scary Red Foreman. Yeah. And that was what made me the most sad watching this movie, is just like how shitty these parents are. Mm -hmm. Um, Right, like, the worst thing about your kid is that he's into Shakespeare. Right. What a a nightmare kid. Like, he wants to be Puck in school play and is still getting A's in, like, advanced chemistry and is obviously going to go to Harvard. And honestly, they probably prefer that he have some extracurriculars. Yeah, I just was, like, very upset that all of the parents, like, sucked. Like, all the parents are, like... And the administration. Right, just sign it. Like, just 
they were just jerks. They're, all of the parents were jerks, except for the Latin teacher, who I had, like, a new appreciation for on rewatch, because at the end, almost. when he's taking his students outside, like, that choked me up a little bit to be like, oh, um, I've lost my place. I remember Neil as, like, way cuter. Like, I mm. felt like I had way more of a crush on Neil when I watched it for the first time at 14, 15. Um, now... Josh Charles is my number one man, mm. and um, who plays Knox Overstreet. He's Josh Charles is in another teen movie that I don't know if we'll cover. Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. I don't well, know. We should probably do. I that don't know one. how we can. Maybe we'll fit that into like a summer vacation episode. That'd be great. He's like a super babe in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, even though he's like not a super babe in it at all. He plays like kind of a dopey guy. Um, and I had seen that before I saw this movie, so I was mm. like, oh, I like this guy. Mm-hmm. But Josh Charles is of, I don't know if we said this when we were recording thus far, of The Good Wife fame. I think, I do believe we gave him that shout out. We did just talk about The Good Wife for like a good 20 minutes before we started recording. Um, yeah, so basically rewatching this for me was just like a delight to see a young Josh Charles and that felt like my main motivation for getting through the the movie. Um, also, he plays a character named Knox Overstreet, yeah. which just is one of the hottest names in teen movies. Yeah, it kind of is. Like, what a dope name. It kind of is. And, like, he's a little creepy with Chris. Like, I don't super love all of the creepy stuff about it. Yeah. But, um... It was the 50s. It was the 50s, and also then at the end when he, like, convinces her, and he does that, like, guffawing kind of, like, smirk, I was like, oh my god, he's just so charming. Um, I was reading about it afterwards, and this is a film that... Won an Academy Award for a sc- for Best Screenplay. Mm-hmm. And Robin Williams, I don't think, won a Best Actor Award he was for nominated. it, but he was nominated. He won a Best Actor for Mrs. Doubtfire, which cracks me up. But um, Won a what for Best? He won an Oscar for Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, I know. Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> I thought comedies didn't get those kind of It was the 90s. But just in general, I, that seems like very... I'm not doubting you, but I... was I, surprised by this as well. That is shocking. Let me just check real quick. That is that brand, brand like new information. Um, Mrs. Doubtfire? Yes. We assume that all of our listeners have watched Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, sorry. It was a Golden Globe. Okay. But he did win a Golden Globe. That's a big distinction. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mrs. Doubtfire Maybe could I- not be at the Academy <laughs> Awards. It, probably, it was nominated for Best Makeup, and it won. God, okay, that okay. makes sense. But no, the makeup in that movie is so bad. This is yes, not a Mrs. Doubtfire podcast. But, okay. Um, so I read that Robin Williams improvised a lot, and he, he, he like hated Ethan Hawke a little bit. That there was like a little bit of friction in, in between the two of them because Ethan Hawke was just like trying really hard to be a really serious actor, Whoa. and Robin Williams was like trying to like relax into the role. There were also a lot of people attached to this before it was made. Yeah, like Dustin Hoffman oh, was yeah, gonna be that's him. True. Um, yeah, I I enjoyed it. I don't think I think that I. This sounds bad. But I enjoyed this movie better as a memory mm. than as, like, a re-experienced as an adult teen movie. But I think that is is going to happen for a lot of these teen movies. I'm on, Like, some of the movies on our list that we'll cover in later episodes, I'm kind of scared to rewatch because what yeah. if it ruins... Like, what if Wish Upon a Star isn't the movie that I remember it to be? Well, I do think that, like, 
camp. I think that that's going to happen with earnest movies, and I think that with campy movies, it's just they're going to be even better. Okay. But I think that earnest movies are are going like our morals have shifted and evolved as adults from when we were teenagers, and so it's weirder to like. Like, in some of these movies, you're so much angrier with the adults, mm-hmm. with the bad adults, which we'll talk about bad adults, but, like, you're so much more frustrated with the bad adults as an adult than you are as a teen. I also think as a, like, a young, like, a middle schooler, or even elementary schooler, if someone's like, this is a serious movie, you automatically think it's a good movie. Yes. And so you have that bias yeah. of, oh, I remember watching this and thinking all adult films are good films, and right. all teen films are, like, a little kind of, like, fluff. I do think that this is a good movie. I yeah, yeah, I definitely do. Well, I'm just gonna start this. What did you discussion think of this off? movie? Well, just to start off this whole discussion of boarding school, I have to admit that I was deeply obsessed with the idea of going to boarding school. Really? I really, really wanted to go to boarding school when I was growing up. It was on like, the East Coast. Yes. Okay. I was like obsessed with this idea of like. The girl that goes to the Brearley School and then goes to Wellesley and has, like, it, there was just something about that girl that I desperately wanted to be. My eyes are rolling so far out of my head, but... I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't even know where this came from because my parents didn't talk about the... I think it was a, a horrible combination of, like, reading Catcher in the Rye and watching sure. Gilmore Girls and, like, looking at J. Crew catalogs and being, like... This really works for me. (laughs) (laughs) Blythe, I will say now, knowing this fact about you, it explains a lot of your fall behavior. (laughs) (laughs) My autumnal behavior, you mean? Okay, for those of you who don't know Blythe, which like a lot of my friends have written in, or written in, written, text me, (laughs) they've texted me. My friends and family have been like, your friend Blythe is hilarious. (laughs) I just want to give you like a little context to Blythe's autumnal behavior. She announces to whomever, like, it's autumnal season now, and she'll, like, say it throughout a weekend, like, alerting us all that, like, we're now going to see all of her hats, we're going to see all of her tartan, we're going to see a lot of cool jackets, and then she's really into, like, let's go in the park and, like, crunch in the leaves, let's have a fall picnic, and then Blythe and her boyfriend have a... At this point, it seems like a sacred day of apple picking. In which they go apple picking, and they're not huge, like, social media people. And you'll get, like, I'm not kidding, like, 20 Instagram stories from both of them. Of, like, them in a tree, them with an apple, them on a ladder, them, them on a truck, them with the hat, them with the hat and an apple. I mean, I'm not the first basic bitch to get really excited about fall. No, but... You're not that basic, and <laughs> the boarding school J. Crew catalog thing really clicks. Yeah, it was. It's a, really clicking. And I wonder what my life would have been like if I insisted. Because if I think if I told my mom I want to go to boarding school, she would have like done a modicum of research and figured out like how to make that work. I don't think she would have been against it. Cause she was very into us doing being successful at scholastics, but. I'm very glad that I went to my public high school. It was great. I had a great time. However, I love movies like School Ties and Dead Poets Society and even dumb shit Tanner Hall because of that boarding school aesthetic. I'm really into it. And this film, like, rewatching Dead Poets Society, it's so beautifully shot. It really is. And the scenes of the school and, like, 
the countryside surrounding it and those bridges, the geese. Every time. I get, I'm so into Do it. Do they have geese in, in Wisconsin? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Because I just wanted to, like, explain the reality of, like, geese in high school for me. It was, like, they would just shit all over all the sports fields, and then you'd just, like, be dealing with, like, geese poop. Like, oh. the yeah, romanticism I mean, of geese is lost on me. No, we got birds. Cool. Yeah, we got birds. Moving on from geese poop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and these performances are really great, and yeah. every time I rewatch, I'm drawn to a different character's performance. Oh. And this time, it was Robert Sean Leonard. And I think that might be just because we just did that Shakespeare pod. I did feel, like, well-primed Right? So yeah. I was, like, really into his acting as in, as the character Neil, and then also his acting as Puck, and I was really into it. And I just think he's so good. And I love the, the smaller moments, like, when they're trying to make a radio, mm-hmm. and, like, they're jumping around on the bed, and all those, like, things that are really... That's the other part of boarding school I just really wanted was, like, I wanted the giant sleepover all the time. That sounded so fun to me. Like, this fun doesn't stop after you leave school, because then you just right. go back to your dorm right. room, and you're with all of your best forever. friends. Forever. Yeah. You're, like, doing your homework together. That just really appealed to me. So, uh-huh. yeah, I mean, I do think it, the more I watch it, the more I realize it's not a perfect movie, but... Which I, is fine. It's fine. But I still think it was better than School Ties. Which I think was not as good on a rewatch as I remember. Yeah, you want to... So I hadn't seen School Ties, so I think you should talk about how you felt on rewatching, and I'll talk about it. my first impressions as a 29-year-old. Yeah, I definitely think this was a movie that we, I watched in middle school either as a supplemental, like, you should watch one of these films to learn more about Jewish American history. It was like this and Swing Kids... Stop. Yes. Someone suggested that you watch this film to learn about Jewish American history. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, in middle school, like, they supplement it. Okay. To, like, okay. help, you know, kids. God, we have so far to come in America, but okay, continue. Well, I'm not saying, like, that they're like, this is all you need to know about Jews in America. No, they of were course, like, of course. You know, um, this might be something interesting if you're interested in more on the topic. They would always uh, suggest a film to supplement the reading or whatever. Okay. And okay. So you could take it home to your parents and be like, "Can I watch this movie?" And we can discuss the themes and everything and where this. Did you discuss this with your parents? God no. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I just can't picture that, but okay. Um, and honestly, like it did spark my memory of learning about quotas that Ivy Leagues had at the time for Jewish students, and how it came out later that they had, like, only 15% of Jews can be allowed, and they had other ways of making sure that Jews weren't allowed. They had, similar to what Harvard is doing now with, like, more holistic screening of candidates, and it's not just their academics. We need to consider the whole and, like, all of the the trouble they're in right now with their lawsuits about admissions. And I remember learning about, like, Jonah Salk specifically going to NYU because he didn't want to apply to any of the Ivy Leagues because of their quotas that came out. And the connection for me going to the University of Wisconsin is that in the 1920s, when a lot of colleges were eliminating the number of Jewish students that were accepted, the University of Wisconsin did not. They never had that limitation. And in fact, their branch of Hillel, which is the Jewish student organization, is the second oldest in the nation. That's very cool. It is very cool. We have like a deep 
Jewish history in Wisconsin, which I don't think a lot of people realize. No, I definitely did not. We're very Germanic and Norwegian, but we're also very Jewish. I feel like Wisconsin, Wisconsinites, mm-hmm. everyone that I know from Wisconsin who was born and raised there, who still lives there, because one of my really good college friends is from uh, Milwaukee, and like they are like not, the Midwest gets a stereotype that is just not founded. I mean, you do love cheese and like things like that Who and like doesn't? cold outdoor activities, but like I would say that the people that I know from Wisconsin, and granted, like I know very well educated people, yourself included, from Wisconsin, but like are significantly more open minded, liberal, inclusive than a lot of the communities I grew up in and around on the East Coast. Yeah, I mean, it's a very socialist, progressive state, yeah. or at least it. Maybe not so much right now, but, like, it used to very much be that. And the University of Wisconsin has done something good in history. Way to go. <laughs> and uh, the other thing I just realized, like, obviously School Ties is full of, like, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and Chris O'Donnell at their youngest. And just to see, like, what they would become and seeing them as, like, these really young, young actors. Yeah. Is fun. It is fun. That was my only real knowledge of the the movie, and I have to say that, so... And Brendan Fraser was so, 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 so good. He is so good. Okay, so, he is so good in this. I was stunned by how good he was in this. Um, with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, like, growing up in Massachusetts and being young when Goodwill Hunting came out, like, I have an oversaturation of, like, how they came to be as celebrities and so like every news special would always be like you might know them from school ties and (laughs) I thought that school ties was a television series until Mm. I was like in college like I thought that they were like in some weird local series that no one really knew about and then I was like oh school ties is a movie and then in reading about this movie for the the podcast I realized, oh, it was filmed in Massachusetts. Like, this all makes so much sense. <laughs> so, and Ben Affleck really doesn't have that large of a part in no, it. Neither does Cole Hauser. Right. So, but Charlie. Dylan. Yeah. I think he just goes by Dylan for most Dylan. of the film. He, Matt Damon is, I think Matt Damon's a great actor. He I know is. Matt Damon gets a lot of flack. I don't necessarily agree with everything that Matt Damon does, but like. I'd be hard-pressed to find a Matt Damon movie that I can, like, say a bad thing about. You know what I mean? Like, he's he makes great movies. Oh, yeah. Um, this, him in this movie, like, I want more bad Matt Damon. Like, right. I want him to lean harder into being such a jerk. Because he plays so good at it as a teenager, and now he's, he's what, he's probably, like, late 40s? Like, I want to see middle-aged, mean Matt, mean Damon. Matt Damon. And, like, I think that he... He's such a good schmuck. He's, he's such... so biting. Like, he's so... There's a difference between, like, an evil mastermind of a teenager, which he isn't in this, and, like, just a bad seed who's out to, need to like, just stick it to people yeah. unnecessarily and, like... That's just his way. Like, he's not plotting anything. He's no. just holding on to, like, 
how to treat people poorly for his advantage. Because he's so painfully, obviously insecure, but he also tries to be this super confident big man on campus. Like, he literally says, we're the big men on campus. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So many good, like, over-explainer lines in this movie that I actually just thought felt like this, like, meta-commentary on all of their careers. But, um... (laughs) But I thought that, the, yeah, so I was really pleased with Brendan Fraser and Matt Damon's performances. Brendan Fraser, in this movie, like, if if I was watching this movie for the first time in 1989 when it came out, I would have been like, this guy's going to be a huge movie star. Mm-hmm. And I guess we could say that Brendan Fraser was a huge movie star, and then he just kind of, like, started making really bad movies like name a bad movie that Brendan Fraser The did. Mummy Blood. No, I love The I Mummy. I know you love The Mummy. Love, love The Mummy. But doesn't he mean it's made a good that... movie. Yeah, what? Okay. That's a good movie. Okay. The Mummy is so mm. entertaining. Yes, but it's very different than School Tide. So is He's I love Brendan I'm just Fraser. saying Brendan Fraser kind of stiffened up a bit in the late <sighs> Blast Fox. from the Past. Amazing. Oh, Blast from the Past is still in the 90s. Great movie. Uh bedazzled. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> Those are all like name welcome to our Brendan Fraser podcast. <laughs> no, I'm anti this because like, he hasn't done anything good in the last ten decades, but he's still acting. Like I just want Brendan Fraser to get a good miniseries. I think he'd be great for that. Anyway, um, other takeaways: I would love to go to a 1950s dance. Like I just feel really strongly about that. It looks like a blast. Uh, Chris O'Donnell is the with the. They were, like, putting the balloons between them. Oh, yeah, make way for the Lord. That part didn't look like a blast, but cracked me up. Like, I think it But, like, I don't know. I just like the concept of a dance where people are, like, actually dancing. Like, I think that that's fun. Like, doing dance... I don't know. In the 1950s, people would have dance partners and do... Mm. Like, I think that that... You don't want to just, like, grind up on somebody? No. No, I don't. No. (laughs) Um... Chris O'Donnell was kind of a letdown. I loved Chris O'Donnell, and he just, like, wasn't in this movie as much as I had hoped that he was. Especially based on, like, the poster. Like, I thought he was the main guy. And the fact that he got scent of a woman. It was like, you know, like, he clearly has some acting chops and was not that... My favorite Chris O'Donnell movie is The Bachelor. Have you ever seen The Bachelor? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great movie. Great movie. Actually, a really bad movie, but great movie. (laughs) Um, when they're all dancing and singing in the dorm room, I thought that that was so charming, and that's totally. a glimpse of how you can see how they all became movie stars. And what's interesting about that scene is they're singing to Smokey Joe's Cafe, which is by a Jewish-American pop artist, yeah. and the rest of the music, the rock and roll music in the film, is all by Jewish artists. So they were definitely trying to send a message, like, you idiot bigots. Every- oh, yeah. <laughs> like... That's a message we still need to hear in 2019. Yes, absolutely. But it was very subtle. Like, no... Yeah. Like, I only learned that after, like, reading about the film. And I thought that was a really cool way of integrating more Jewish culture and uh, sort of unknown Jewish culture into the film. Yeah. Uh, I thought there was a little too much football in this movie. I'm going to be totally honest. <laughs> but the football scenes were really good. They, they were good, but there were, like, four of them. Like, I We could have done, like, two, half. We could have halved the football scenes. Um... I thought that the educators in this film were a little more of a mixed bag compared to Dead Poet Society, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed. Like, they talk a lot about the ethics code in the movie, and the headmaster at the end talks about how the ethics code is a, a living body, and mm-hmm. you can... 
make exceptions. And I think, I think as we learn more about teenage representation in movies, like, learn more meaning we are watching too many hours of teens on film in our <laughs> lives. It's It feels really important to have adults that advocate for you and help you grow as opposed to just penalize you for making mistakes. And um, there's a balance there. There's a quote in Dead Post Society about like moments to dare and moments not to dare. Mm-hmm. And I think that... I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah. They, I just think that, that the educators in this movie are a little more measured in the way that they handle every all like all of their students. I mean, there's some asshole teachers, but they aren't totally their adversaries. It's not like teens against teachers, which is what a lot of the other movies mm-hmm. are. It's more teens against society, teens within society. It's nothing mm-hmm. really against um well, and I think both Deb Hot Society and School Ties, the teachers and the administration, they teach, they um, treat the students like adults. They say, yeah. like, you have these problems, you're going to solve them on your own, and then you're going to come to us with what the solution you came up with is. Yeah. So w- with the cheating scandal, they were like, okay, this is your problem. If you don't tell us who cheated or if the cheater doesn't come forward, you all fail. So you guys need to get into a room and figure this out and yeah. come to us with your decision. And I thought that was really cool to see this room of teenagers basically trying to solve the problem themselves instead of an administrator saying, "Okay, uh, you all fail or if I don't if if someone doesn't come forward, then I'm just going to whatever." Like they they were all treated like adults and I thought that was really nice to see the agency that the students have even though the the curriculum is somewhat stodgy and strict they also i think because they the classes were so hard it also said we know that you guys can handle this responsibility so we're going to treat you like adults when the time comes totally i think that it also shows that high school is so much i mean when you're in high school the lessons feel when you're in high school everything that you're learning feels like that's the point it feels like my Spanish final is the point. Mm-hmm. This English paper is the point. And I think, yes, those are really important things to learn how to do. But none of these, I mean, minus the, like, French exam meltdown and um, school ties. Like, I think that these movies illustrate how much learning within and without, not within, inside and outside of the classroom, yeah. how much learning is about how you interact with people, about how you interact with yourself, about the questions that teachers ask of you, the questions that you ask of teachers. Like, and I think that um, this movie, in comparison to Dead Poets Society, just illuminated how valuable good teachers can can be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good segue into Tanner Hall, which had very whoa. little... To do with... Oh, my God. Education and learning and being treated like adults and was kind of a hot mess of a movie, but also beautiful. Cozy. Cozy. Again, more stately marble buildings that are crumbling and... They filmed it in Newport, Rhode Island, which also just 
shows you how much money they had to make this film that they were able to film it in Newport, Rhode Island. Like, nobody films in Rhode Island. There's no incentives to film in Rhode Island. Um, so I felt like while this movie is about girls at a prep school and we have a female, like, main character who literally narrates the film for us, they're not given any agency in their lives. We know nothing about their families, nothing about their motivations, just feelings that Fern narrates and then the way that the characters react to different stimuli around them. Um, and like literal stimuli, like smoking weed, going on a Ferris wheel, sneaking out at night, like, like bullet points of teen life. Like I think that this movie, while written by two women, depicts two pretty horrible men in a pretty sympathetic light. And these men impact these girls in a way that the therapist is probably better suited to address than like we are on this podcast. Like they both sexually proposition to maybe, un- we, we don't even know how old these girls are. It's alluded to that they're seniors, but like barely. Well, at one point Brie Larson says my 18th birthday is tomorrow. Oh, right. Okay. But that means that it's still not okay. Like it doesn't. No. There's nothing about that statement that should encourage anyone to think, oh, that was a positive, healthy right. relationship between no, the two adults. No, um, It also felt like there were huge chunks of the script that were just missing. Like, it felt like maybe there was something deeper that was meant to be filmed and, like, it didn't happen or there was, like, some sort of interconnected... It needed a script doctor. Like, oh if God. these women had just told their story, because they both went to a boarding school right. that was supposed to be, like, a prep school basically for Brown, and then they both ended up going to Brown. So clearly these women have an interesting, if not unrelatable, story that they could tell about growing up in, in a prep school, but it needed some severe help. Yeah. I. Uh, there was one scene that in particular, towards the end, just had me like rolling my eyes because... So Fern is at the baptism for Gio's baby, who she is now the godmother of, which is, like, so weird. And then she's, like, overcome with anxiety, emotion, etc., and goes and throws up. Yeah. And her mom comes in, who we've literally only seen in one and a half scenes up until this point. We know nothing about her. And she comes in and she's like, what is going on with you like, we need to talk. I'm here for you. And she's like, I'm fine. And then the mom presses a little bit harder. And Fern says, I'm in love. And the mother reacts as if Fern has said that she, like, shot someone. Like, she sits down and, like, puts her hand in her, her head in her hand. And it's like, that's a super normal thing for your 18-year-old daughter to tell you. Right. Like, we should be more concerned about why she's throwing up. It was just very strange and, like very poorly directed and I think that the only redeeming things about this movie are the fact that Brie Larson and Rooney Mara are exceptional actresses of our generation they're they're they are of our generation and um have had prolific film careers since and I think that they've clearly moved on from whoever booked them on this (laughs) on this bad movie um my favorite fun fact in researching this was that Rooney Mara's real name is Patricia Rooney Mara, and she was going by Trisha when she was filming this movie. Interesting. And I just have an exceptionally difficult time picturing Rooney or Mara Trisha. introducing herself as Trisha. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's... I, so when I first watched this movie, I was home 
I was at my mom's house. It was like a break from law school, and I was doing that thing you do. Brag. Which part? <laughs> the law school part. Oh, yeah. I went to law school. Um, it. I was doing that thing you do when you're at your parents, and they have all of the channels. Like, they don't even Inexplicably, know they, have. they have no idea, and they had like flicks or pics or epics <laughs> or something, and this movie just was on, and I looked at the description, and I was like, okay, boarding school, check. Girl uh, power. Girl check. power, check. Like, oh, Chris Kattan and Amy Sedaris? Hell yes. I love Amy Sedaris. And I just watched it from beginning to end, and I was like, that was not great, but <laughs> man, I liked those girls. Yeah. They were so stunning to look at, the very oh minimal God. makeup, the really like fresh face, and yeah. they were all intense, but in a relatable way, even though their lines were trash. And Amy Sedaris was so funny, even though she had not, not good lines yeah. and not like wasn't. I don't think it was meant to be a comedic role, but Amy Sedaris is just that good that she will make. She made it so. She was the she only will make it funny. Yeah. And I really had like I really love Guy Patterson, and so seeing him as Geo was. Yeah, except not he's a very favorite. bad adult in this. No, he's terrible. He's a predator. Yeah, he's a predator. <laughs> he's not good. Who's but, like essentially blaming his entire life on his pregnant wife. Yeah. He's like, well, now we live here and I don't have any friends. And it's like, sir, you are one half of a marriage. You have a choice in all of this. But I just wonder, like, are things that's different for rich people? Do they just have different priorities that no one is explaining, like, where these girls are from or, like, what their plans are after they graduate? Or what, do they go to class? Like, they, it was so unclear to me what their actual schedules were like. And maybe I just don't you understand. Mean, other than... Being in a bowling alley, painting each other's toenails. Yeah, it was just like so it was weird. weird. And but you know what? I'm glad I watched it because they are really good teens. And this was a not a good teen movie, but a good representation of some of facets of teenage girl life. I think yes, some very limited, narrow scope focuses of teenage girl life. And like, I don't know what it's like to go to an all girls school, but I imagine that it would be pretty fun. And I. Yeah, I don't think it would be like this, though. Anyway. Which part? <laughs> like, 90% of it. Okay. Um, Blythe, did you feel that these are good teen movies? Uh, yeah, I will say I, I have shrug emoji in my <laughs> notes about this, about whether or not they're good teen movies. It's... There, it's not like a 10 Things I Hate About You. We can't really compare them. No. Because... They're not fun teen movies. Right, because two of them are so dramatic and deal with such heavy issues. And... But I do think that we have such young, true, like, true teenagers in these roles. And that, to me, is what makes it them good teen movies. That's a great point. Yeah. Like, seeing a young Brendan Fraser and seeing a young Matt Damon go at it in... Who is exciting like really go at it really go at it and and be teens is fun and that that to me is why they should be included in the teen movie and are and are being discussed on our teen movie podcast i agree i also think that i thought that dead poets society was like a very special movie when i was a teen and so i'm glad that's only when i saw as a teen like it feels valuable in this conversation and i do think that if i had seen tanner hall as like a 15 year old that i would have been like Oh, this is a cool movie. Right. Um, like, I totally identify with these girls, and... Yeah. I, I think I would have, like, 
watched it on a Saturday morning and been like, that was cool. Yeah. And if you don't like it, it's just because you don't you get don't it. You don't get it. Yeah. But guess what? <laughs> Spoiler alert. There's literally nothing to get. Um, so what was your most true to life teen, teen moment from these films? So at one point, Victoria steals. She doesn't steal. She like, her luggage doesn't get delivered in Tanner Hall. And so her mom is just, even at setting up this plot makes the movie seem so weird. She, she doesn't have any clothes when she gets to school. <laughs> Cause the dumb driver forgot it's to put so her bags strange. in the car. Any, anyways. Which we all have been there, right? No. <laughs> she borrows Fern's clothes. And repurposes them, or like has Lucasta like f- sew them and fix them. And I had a, I, I, I have a younger sister, um, but my younger sister was a freshman when I was a senior, and she would borrow my clothes, and then I would see them on her friends at school, oh. and I would be like, "Where did you get that?" And they'd be like, "Oh shit!" Oh and like God. so, my sister. Loves clothes and has, like, great taste and would loan clothes to friends and would just, like, lose track of what she had borrowed of mine and, like, what was hers because she stole all of my clothing. Sorry, Carrie. You know you did. That's so fun. No, I wanted to, like, beat the shit out of her. And so her friends would be like, I didn't know. I didn't know. And I'd be like, okay, then I need to hunt down. Like, and, you know, between periods in high school, you have literally, like, three minutes. Yes. And I would just be, like, screaming as a senior girl at these poor freshman girls, like, oh my that's my shirt! Oh, my God, Um. Yeah, so that's what rang true to me. Whoa, okay. For me, the most true to my teen life moments were having a really inspiring English teacher. Oh, my God. My English teacher, Amy Keys, Miss Keys, was such a huge influence in my life and I'm still obsessed with her and my friend Rachel and I we talk still to this day talk about her all the time and what a big deal she was and she taught I took like three different classes from her because I oh, liked wow. her so much yeah she was incredible and also the idea of having a teacher who is considered radical for teaching like dead white man poetry <laughs> like you know what I mean like that yeah. is a big deal like oh we're studying Walt Whitman yeah. like but there are like Amy Keys was really radical in how she taught us Shakespeare and how she taught us Emily Dickinson and E. Cummings and all of these things that really can be radical depending on how you choose to present them and how, what can they, you give me an example well I mean even in Dead Poets Society the idea of no, I'm oh for Miss Keys yeah I mean, she, so she taught contemporary literature and she was really, she introduced us to a lot of authors that I probably wouldn't have read until college, like Toni Morrison. And just this idea that poetry and literature are Mm. very much alive and living elements and, and being close to a, in a university town, she said like, you can go see these authors. Like they come to the university. Oh, that's wonderful. You can just go and hear them talk and... That was such a cool thing to me. Like, no one had ever told me, leave the classroom and go find these things for yourself. And that was really exciting. And I love her forever. Thank you, Miss Keys. Aw, thank you, Miss Keys. And then another thing that I liked from Dead Poets Society was, like, the idea of sneaking out. And I would sneak out, but to do literally nothing. Like, to do stupid things, like, maybe smoke a little weed, but then also, like, 
read or talk about school with your friends, like right. do like really benign the shit. The act of rebellion, rebellion was, was just the sneaking out. Right. And yeah. not even like going that far. I mean, right. we couldn't, we weren't going to some like. It's like the, it's like the teenage version of being like, mom, I'm running away from home. It's like, it's just the act. 100%. Yeah. And we would like go to like a park or like a swing set or what, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was very chaste, but it was the fact that it was like midnight and we were like, ow, ah. oh my God. So I definitely liked that part a lot. Um, for me, the, the least true to life moment, I asked Matt right before we taped this tonight or before you came over, I was like, so what were your thoughts on Dead Poets Society? Like, we didn't really talk about it last night. And I said, did it resonate with your high school experience at all? And he was like, no. I mean, they were cave theater dancing. <laughs> and I was like, he said it. And he didn't mean, I don't know what he meant by it. But I, cave theater dancing, I laughed pretty hard. <laughs> and he's right. There was no cave theater dancing in my high school experience either. <laughs> Nope. That's fair. I mean, a lot of these, because I didn't go to boarding school, I just can't, and I didn't go to boarding school in the 50s, I, you know, I right. can't relate to a lot of these. I'll say that, especially for Tanner Hall, like, the idea that I would just hang out with my parents' friends on the weekends without them, that would never happen. Yeah, that would, that, it feels inappropriate just saying it. Like, I remember when I studied abroad in Ireland, I had a family friend be like, let's get coffee together or something. And that makes sense because I'm right. so far away from home and I don't have anybody. Right. But if I was in the confines of, like, my school and, like, it would be weird for someone I've never met before to, to come pick me up, pick you up and be like, we're going to go have dinner and hi. Like, no, I wouldn't Stranger wanna... danger. <laughs> and I just wouldn't want to do it. That's the other thing. I was like, I wouldn't want to hang out with my parents' friends randomly that I don't remember. It would be weird. Without my parents? No, I wouldn't want to do that. Agreed. So what was your uh, get out of my room award for the best expression of teen angst? I don't have a a specific answer to this because I actually feel like usually we give this award, it's more stereotypically given to a woman and I don't think that there were any like major female freakouts in any of these movies but I do think that like all of these boys have like literal conniption fits at some point about something mm -hmm. and like all literally all of them have a moment in which they like have a meltdown in both Dead Poet Society and um school ties there are like the kind of narc of the group mm -hmm. is like a redhead with glasses in yeah, both it's true and like that's not even an angsty get out of my room speech but that like one uppance of like but we have to do the right thing for ourselves like we gotta but you know like it's like oh god everyone <laughs> knew that kid that was just like Right. Well, I don't care about you guys, but I'm going to put myself first. I'm blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah, blah. And like, don't be stupid. And it was like, oh my God, no one made you in charge. Yes. Um, that was, yeah, there were just too many male feelings to deal with in this. And and the the like actually valid meltdowns are like too sad to include. Well, I, I said Brendan Fraser yelling cowards on the front lawn when he... In the rain. In the rain and his like white t-shirt. He but looks good. He looks great, and it's a very powerful emotional scene, but it's not really teen angst so much as the understandably incendiary reaction to a hate crime. Yeah. So I can't just chalk that up to, oh, like, hashtag teen life is hard. It was like, 
it's oh, a hate crime. You were a victim, and you are trying to confront your bullies, and they are all truly cowards. So I kind of felt bad putting that as teen angst, but it was the most emotional note of the film. Actually, I'm going to take everything I said back. Okay. <laughs> when Rooney Mara is just lying on her bed, like, curled up in the fetal position, like, dreaming of... Geo, yes. That is teen angst. Absolutely. Sometimes teen angst is quiet. It doesn't always have to be get out of my yeah. room. It can just be like, I'm here in the fetal position. Yeah. And everything is wrong and nothing is okay. She says the phrase longing in the voiceover to that. She was like, I longed for Geo. And yes. I was like, oh my God, what <laughs> am I watching? Uh, do we have a Stalker Channing Award? I don't think so. I think most of these films have truly baby-faced teens. So, totally. well cast. Totally well cast. Teens playing teens. We, you didn't think that we had a Peter Fascinelli Award well, to give out. um, we don't. I mean, I remember reading about the casting of School Ties because they literally looked at every single person in Hollywood at the time and Matthew Perry was always on the short list. Oh, God. And I was like, oh, my God, that would have been amazing. Because then he was in Seventeen again, and he would have gotten Peter Fascinelli Award. But yeah. he was doing other stuff. Like being Chandler, I guess. Was he Chandler by then? No. He was Friends? Probably not yet. Mm. His Friends fans get at us. <laughs> All right. Do you have a Fuck, Mary Kill for me? Mm. I, this was really hard. Because it does feel like these boys are, like, teenage boys I'll I'll survive okay so I'm gonna go with Geo oh okay not I'm gonna a, not go a with boy. not a teenage boy I'm gonna go with um the headmaster in Dead Poets Society the like crusty old man oh you've given me some bad ones in That's past true. weeks so no, you're due. I've given you literal you've got Geo who's a sexual predator <laughs> the crusty old man or you have Matt Damon's shitty, shitty character. Oh, so it's as the characters themselves? Yes. Yeah. Whoa, this is rough. It would be so easy if it was the actors. Oh, man. Well, oh, God. I guess I'm... Sorry, I have to kill the old guy. Like, That's I'm fine. not going to fuck him. And I'm not gonna marry him. <laughs> that was probably um, a softball of an answer. I will... Oh, my God, Matt Damon's... Yeah, you have to either marry the guy who is an uh, anti-Semite but went to Harvard, or you have to marry the guy who's going to cheat on you when you're nine months pregnant. Ah, wow. Um, okay. Well, I will take the coward's way out, and I will marry Matt Damon and promptly divorce him. No, that's not how this works. And then I will, um, Marriage is marriage. Okay. have sex with Joe and then never talk to him again. I just can't. That character. That Ugh. character. Really bad. What do you have for me? Um, I'm giving you a lot of heartthrobs. I'm giving oh! you David Green. Okay. Knox over Street. Oh my god. And I'm gonna do um, Chris Reese, the Chris O'Donnell character. So Brendan Fraser, Chris O'Donnell, and Josh Charles, but as their characters. Those are some babes. I'm gonna kill Chris O'Donnell. That's fair. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Chris O'Donnell. That's alright. You you would rank highly on any other list. 
I found David Green to be, like, pretty charismatic, so I would definitely sleep with him. Yeah. And, I mean, are you surprised that I would no. marry Knox Over Street? I'm like, just giving you that opportunity. Any day. Yes. Any day. He was my biggest crush. He was, when I watched the film as a, as a young girl, and now he is still my biggest crush. Knox Over Street. Who is your biggest crush in the films? Josh Charles. Yes, Knox Over Street. Forever. And I liked a lot of the boys in Dead Poets Society, but yeah. he takes it. We have some superlatives to give out. We're going to do class flirt and most likely to succeed. My, We're pretty aligned on class flirt. Yeah. Well, Kate, the Brie Larson character, was just very flirtatious and, like, fun and sexy. And, like, I liked her There's energy. that scene where she's... Ha- and I think, that, I think that the thing that's interesting about that character is, like, she does flirt with men to their... To, like, mess with them a little bit. But she is just, like, a flirt. And, like, yeah. the way that she's... Even when she's doing Rooney Mara's makeup. And she's like, no, don't use the blue eyeliner on me. Like, yeah. she's just a flirt. And, like, some people are just flirts. It's and big, that's what it's, she is. It's big flirt energy. It's big it's, flirt energy. Yeah. I'm into it. And I would say her or Charlie Dalton, who is, like, the, the renegade who wants women to come to Welton Academy. And... Who's the only guy who really does the right thing in Dead Poets yeah, Society. True. He's... And gets expelled for it. And he's a babe. Yeah, he's a babe. Most likely to succeed, I said David Green. That guy's going places. Yeah, I'm just going to say Knox River Street because I just want to talk about Josh Charles any chance I get. You get it. This is my Josh Charles episode. <laughs> Unless I do Don't Come On the Babysitter's Dead. Do you have a prom king and queen of the episode and is it Josh Charles? It's Josh <laughs> King and Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, no, I'm sorry. He's the king and I am the queen. Got it. Erin named herself prom queen of the episode. The excellent peak Erin. For prom queen, I said Chris Knoll, who's Josh Charles' love interest, because she's just a pretty cute, blonde. cute, pretty blonde cheerleader. And uh, for prom king, I said Knox Over Street. The blonde in... Because I want them to be together. Yeah, the blonde in... um. School Ties is pretty cute, too, but she's kind of sucks. She's, yeah. I just can't give these awards to anti-Semites. <laughs> I just... Yeah. Everyone in School Ties is, like, a, just a major disappointment. Yeah. Except for David Green. Do you think there should be a remake of any of these films? No, but I know Dead Poet Society is coming in one way or another. Well, I feel like boarding school is a really rich source material, and I think that there is time for another kind of boarding school movie. And I think it would be fun to see, like, a more comedic one. And I know She's the Man was, like, technically a boarding yeah. school. So maybe we could get more into that realm. I also want to take, like, a brief two minutes to talk about my pitch for a oh, yeah. limited series or movie about this, based on this novel by Donna Tartt that called The both, Secret History. We, we both love That it. we were introduced to in a book club and are deeply obsessed with. And... Is not a boarding school because it's set in a col- like an actual liberal arts college, but how that hasn't been made into a limited series or a movie it baffles me. It's so good. It has mystery, yeah, and it's thought provoking and it's kind of weird and has some sort of like mystical elements and it's philosophical and it has some socioeconomic issues. I feel like as an adult, I read a lot. You read a lot more than I do, and I feel like. It's very rare for a book that came out in the 90s. Like, Mm -hmm. the fact that, one, neither of us or anyone who was in this book club had read it was interesting because we read it after The Goldfinch came out. Mm -hmm. And, two, like, it just stopped 
like literally 15 people in their tracks. Like everyone read it and it was all we talked about for an entire summer. And I told everyone I knew to read it. And it just, it's so rare that a book can not change your life. Sounds very dramatic, but this is a teen movie podcast. Like stop you in your tracks, change your life as an adult, the way that this book did. And I, yeah, I agree with you. I would love to see it as a miniseries. So if anyone wants to get at me about a treatment, let's go. I'm ready. I'd also just like to talk about um, some teen movies that are really, really well done about um, teen wizards called Harry Potter that is set at a boarding school. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar. The boarding school is called Hogwarts. <laughs> and it, I believe it's based on a real boarding school. <laughs> um, I did not get in. I was waited for my letter, but it's just, you know, I think, I think it was a, like, I didn't have a green card or something. I don't know why um, I didn't get to go. But I yes. do think, though, that, like, I know that it's not a boarding school movie, but when I think of, like, all the cozy things about boarding school, like, yes. nothing will quite scratch that itch the way that just putting on a Harry Potter movie I'm, will. It's also great that you bring that up because I'm really happy that I have you on record saying that we will be doing Harry Potter as a teen movie no, at some point. It's not part because of the it's We're going to break the rules for Harry Potter at some point. You heard it from Aaron. It's a great teen movie. We're going to do it. Stay tuned for maybe season three where we tackle Harry Potter. Maybe we'll do like a summer arch when we take in our off season. We'll just tackle seven films. You know, the rules were meant to be broken. Aaron. The rules were meant to be broken. So thank you, Mr. Keating, for teaching us that. <laughs> do we have a best teen movie of the category? Uh, Dead Poets Society. I agree. It's the best. And I think that like, <laughs> I just think. If you listed these three movies to someone, they would say, School Ties, oh yeah, I heard of that. I should see that. Tanner Hall, never heard of it. Dead Poet Society, oh my god, I loved that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah. The performances are so good, and oh, I will always love it. So, okay, so our next, the next episode theme we're doing is dance movies which is very exciting we won't be talking about center stage (laughs) even though we mentioned it in every episode we will not be talking about center stage next week we'll probably anecdotally i'm sure we'll probably mention it obviously it won't be covered in the curriculum and if there's a movie that you want us to do that you haven't heard us talk about um please send us an email or hit up our instagram yeah, our smile you love us. Our email is smileyouloveus at gmail.com. Our Instagram is smileyouloveuspod. We would love some audience feedback and we want to know what teen movies you want to hear. Yeah. About. What do you love? Hit us up. Keep it footloose, guys. Bye.